Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to episode 79 of the show with Mr. Eric Fawcett. Eric Fawcett, what an interesting dude. Former rock star, current music producer, generous guy, business owner, entrepreneur. Yeah, and it was so fun because I've spoken with both of you at length about the other. So it was just fun to get us all in a room and just riff. And riff we did about relationships. Uh, He, being in the music industry, has had a lot of them over the last 20 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And dynamic ones, interesting ones, important ones, ones that have evolved and shaped his life. And uh, he had a lot of insight as to what the true importance of a relationship really is. Totally. I, I almost overuse the word generous, but... I really do feel like Eric epitomizes that, you know, he is a truly generous soul. And I think that's probably related to uh, his view and, or his, I don't want to call it a skill, but the way he manages relationships, right? I mean, or maintains. He, he described himself as kind of the peacekeeper yeah. in his band. And that was the least surprising thing he said during his time on the episode. So I, I think it's interesting to go back and look at a little of his stuff. We dig into it. We talk about his uh, touring with NERD, with Pharrell, and his band Spy Mob. But just read, doing a little bit of reading, maybe a little bit of listening, might give us even more context. And actually, if you want to, you could even head over to his company's website. His company is called Egg Music, and I know they are at EGG hyphen music. I don't know why I felt compelled to spell egg there. <laughs> egg hyphen music.com. And I can tell you, Vince, that it is on Squarespace. And the reason oh. I can tell you is because I built slash or designed the site and I helped them put that together. And, and you want to know the truth, Vince? What's the truth? The guy? truth is it was really easy. Why was it easy? It was easy because Squarespace makes it easy. It's the most intuitive, creative-friendly platform for website creation that exists. No hold in, part. In the world. The yeah. In the universe. In the known universe. From what we know. Of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Shouts out to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode and, and for seeing us through another awesome episode, excuse me, season of the show, and for supporting our website. We built that on Squarespace. Absolutely. If you're interested in getting a dope website, maybe pop over to Squarespace and sign up. And if you do, you can use the code 10,000 hours, get 10% off. One zero 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 zero. There's, oh yeah, sorry. There's not one zero, there's four zeros, but it starts with the number one, the numeral one, yeah, and then it's yeah. followed by four yep. zeros. That's the name of the show, 10,000 oh, hours. Was it four zeros? No, it's five zeros, isn't it? No, it's exactly it's four, four zeros. zeros. Okay. Yeah. So there's one one, four zeros, in that order. H-O-U-R-S. Yep. And that's the promo code. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your sponsorship in this episode and this entire season. Thank you, Eric Fawcett, for thank joining you, us. Thank you, Vince, for being uh, my co-host. Thank you, Grant, for being my co-host. And thank you, listeners. Hopefully you enjoy episode 79, Relationships. got great levels mate actually, your levels are top uh, notch actually, could you give us a test 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 one two one two yo check He's one two, two one up. two one two um all right cool man it's been a minute huh Vinny? 
has been just a bit. We've taken another mini hiatus. Yeah, what uh, I was trying to think of a cool word for that. Uh, Metis. Mm. Nope. Uh, we'll workshop that after the show, and then we'll <laughs> we'll drop in a new segment where we come up with a really clever title. And now on segment workshop, Vince, what are you putting your time into? What are you working on right now? Uh, well, with Animal Humane Society dying down at the office today, Ooh, di- actually, dying down, huh? You had to put it down. Oh my god! They, well, was okay. it was it rabbit? <laughs> the frothing at the mouth. Hey, yeah. Uh, no, the campaign went super well, and everyone's very happy with it. We are too. Uh, today, I was working with my friend, uh, who I've mentioned before, Elliot Matson, on a little project we have called "Twas the Night Before Festivus." Nice. It's a soon-to-be Instagram sensation. Uh, basically, we co-wrote the, rewrote the lyrics to "Twas the Night Before Christmas." So. And we made it Seinfeld-themed because we're both huge Seinfeld Yeah, fans. he's been doing an interesting, and I will actually give a shout-out, and maybe we can show notes. I don't know where it is, but his Seinfeld-tunes. Seinfeld-tunes, yep. Yes. Little yes. illustrations of the Seinfeld casting characters. He's very passionate about it. Um, so that was One fun. might even say, like, alarmingly passionate. It's a sickness. <laughs> yeah. I don't condone it, I fear but for I him. it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kept me busy today, at least. Grant, what have you been putting your time into recently? Um, we just wrapped up, uh, and I think we're just about done with some commercial spots or some like web spots we did, which is really exciting. It's like probably the biggest brand project I worked on, and they're super happy with it. So that's cool. Um, besides that, I mean, I have like that Tokyo project, which I'm sure we'll talk about more soon. We'll get into it. Yeah, but a bit of an art project coming up uh, in the new year, and I'm putting a bunch of time into that. And shooting, shooting a lot of photos, too. Yeah, I, I've seen that. You've been very snap-happy. Snap-happy. To great snappy. effect, too. I have to say, huge fan of your work. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, you uh, you recently followed me on Instagram. I did, finally. Uh, some call me a... Tech- <laughs> I have my finger on the pulse of technology, certainly. Uh, just today, finally, I set up my Instagram Did you account. see my call or my uh, my comment on your photo? Yes, two years, three years ago. I- 99 weeks ago, you have a photo from a train station <laughs> in Berlin, and the caption, I believe, was Berlin. The caption was Berlin. I only ever uploaded it because I needed to to participate in the Lat Long project from Corey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. You're a, a social media maven, as they say. It's actually pretty embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so thanks. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Speaking of kindness, our guest today, and we've got an in-studio guest, which is super exciting. It's always fun for us. We can see their face. We can touch their hair. We can caress their shoulders. I wish. Um, uh, but our guest today is one of the kinder folks I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting over the years. And I believe, actually, what it was that brought us together may have been this very podcast. I'm looking at him for confirmation or denial. Okay. He was early on. Okay. Not sure. Uh, But Mr. Eric Fawcett, who is currently principal, would we say principal at Egg Music? Oh, I go by many times. Okay. It depends on who you are (laughs) and who's calling. But but, uh, a a longtime musician, a member of Spy Mob, uh, which was... It seems like it seems like not of as much Minneapolis acclaim, but very like broader acclaim. One of those things. Yeah, hardly any uh, Minneapolis acclaim. Isn't that funny though? Like it's like <laughs> it's pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. It, we um, we were speaking of Japan. We had quite a following in Japan, but 
the classic <laughs> I'm big in Japan. But it happens a lot, I think, and it's happened to a bunch of Minneapolis bands where you get a, a certain amount of buzz, but you really break someplace else. The ceiling, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. so, and you're a drummer, yeah. I believe, are you still podcasting? Dumb Drummer Podcast? You know, yeah, in theory, but it's been too long. I hear you. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, you're just dormant. It's just resting. Yeah, it's just hanging out it's for a, a second. It's a fertile silence. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. Wow, that's fantastic. But uh, I guess, and, and for more context, uh, we've worked together pretty extensively. You did the sound design on both of the Vasky music videos. Yeah. And we've done a bunch of other projects, and I'm sure we'll dig into more of that. Um. And of course, Yukon Cornelius. I, we're gonna we're gonna dig deep into that chronology. We're gonna and, make you dig deep. Into yeah, it, hopefully in that's uh, that's the hope. But uh, I think it's apropos. Am I using that right, Vince? Apropos to say that. Uh, speaking of us, speaking of how our relationship has developed, that seems like a a good topic for today. I think the way our relationship has developed, the way it's, you you take extra care, it seems, in your relationships. And I've seen sort of the relationships you have with other people and how you treat those. And I feel like you're in an interesting position having been friends and you are friends or you have relationships, whether that's collaborations or friendships or whatever, with people of uh, notoriety, you know, like through music and you are of notoriety yourself in that way. And so... I think it's fertile ground, just like that fertile silence. And yeah, perhaps I, we can get in there with the hoe and till yeah, it up. It's rich. Hopefully, yeah, we can stir up some of those nutrients hiding below the topsoil. Uh, but first, allow me to do the distinct honor of asking you, Eric. Bring it. What are you putting your time into recently? Oh, so I get the question. Uh, well, there's so much. Um, I would say that the biggest job I have every day is being a dad. That's, uh, that's, that's the first thing I do in the morning. It's the last thing I do at night. And, uh, um, and so that, and I think being a, a, a parent and then doing the creative work that we do. And I know, I, I, th- I, th- I think you guys don't know if your parents are not, but I think you, you're, you don't think your parents, is that correct? Uh, oh wow <laughs> wow some assumptions uh, being made I, about I like our lifestyles <laughs> i'm fairly certain that i'm not a parent i guess i can't say 100 percent. yeah i think i'm same boat 99 yeah. okay good um well <laughs> and and comes into our, so many our people- podcast in studio <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to bring up anything yeah go on <laughs> but my my point is that we have our children at work which is our creative projects and then our real children and there are so many people in the creative world who has who have kids so i mean that's that's the biggest thing i do um and then this the second thing that i do that is uh, right up there with parenting is is being a co-owner of egg and egg technically we're egg creative um but we're known best for our the music work we do that's where um our backgrounds are in and um but uh that keeps me busy in all kinds of ways because we think of ourselves First, as a creative company, that opens us up to all kinds of trouble. And um, but our interests are far and wide, and you know we're just always looking for interesting creative projects. In part, so that we can feed our children, which is a big challenge for any creative person. Um, Certainly. But then also that we can feed our our minds and our hearts and our creativity and our desire just to make really cool stuff because. 
you you two are no exception. Some of the very smartest people I know are pouring themselves into the creative pursuits. And you guys could do all kinds of things. You could... We could save know, lives. <laughs> we, could, we don't. We, and yet. <laughs> we, we could become paramedics with some more school. Yeah. Uh, but instead, we and decide to, to do this and it's it's hard work it's really hard work and what makes it worthwhile is that satisfaction that you know you've come together with someone who you respect and and appreciate and you like how they work and at the end of the day it might be a client who's happy it might be an artist who's happy it might be you who's happy and no one else is going to see what you created but yeah so egg is keeping me busy parenthood is keeping me busy and I have an amazing girlfriend. She keeps me busy. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And we'll show notes. Egg. It's eggmusic.com. Egg dash music. Egg hyphen music. Egg hyphen music. Dot com. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good place to start in terms of seeing some of the work, which is really awesome. And uh, I'm sure we'll show notes those Vasky music videos as well. There's some fun uh, sound design elements those, as, those that were very critical. Are so good. They're yeah. So well, great. thank wow. you, man. I mean, when uh, when you got the bigger projects, you go to the A team, and uh, what well, a pleasure! You, did, you, you what laid a pleasure. it all out. I just, I just had to. <laughs> That was fun. Gaps, All right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I love Don't you. Tell you uh, well, that said, you being a parent and a busy guy, thanks so much for taking the time to join oh, us. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And I jumped the gun, huh, Vince? Just a little. <laughs> foreshadowing, though. Yeah, oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. I was setting the stage, and actually, I was planting that seed in that fertile ground a little bit earlier. And I don't know if you guys saw, but while Eric was talking there, I was dribbling a little bit of water, and it's actually starting to kind of peek its head above. It's a germinate. Yeah. <laughs> um, relationships. Yeah. So, as Grant mentioned, by the nature of your work and the nature probably of your personality, you are involved with a lot of amazing, talented, interesting people uh, of various talents and skill sets. And relationships are as important to creativity as maybe anything else. And we were hoping to pick your brain Ooh. on, to use a very graphic term of phrase. I hate I that think term. About it, yeah. I really hate that uh, term. About what relationships mean to you and your work. Yeah, well, uh, there are 500 ways into that conversation. Well, uh, perhaps, I mean, we can yeah. we can go back a little bit and maybe just talk a little bit about how you got into the creative fields and your path there. However you want to approach it. Let's do that. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that cool it. with you, Vin? I All would right. love to hear the story. Lovely, yeah. yeah. I can. Uh, there's a long version and a short version. I'm going to be as condensed as possible. I mean, we're fine. <laughs> okay. Spin us a yarn. You can Eric. edit, right? <laughs> yeah. We're not. We we're not going to edit this, but like, we're fine. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're doing this for us. We're we're yeah. fine. Okay, good. And we love the audience, of course. Okay. Eh. <laughs> So uh, I grew up in Ames, Iowa, and I fell in love with J.C. Penney's catalog, Christmas catalog, 1978 Christmas catalog, because it had a blue sparkle drum set in it. And there was something really uh, infatuating about this oh. picture, and I found that I, I loved these drums. And I, it's one of those mysterious things that just overtook me as a, as a little kid. And prior to that, I'd played my mom's pots and pans, and I and I loved music. And I have four older sisters; they're playing music all the time. And I got this drum set. My dad bought me this drum set, and I loved drumming. And until you know, I think I was nine, and then until I was in seventh grade, I just kind of banged on it by myself. And then I played drums with a, a cover band that played all over over Iowa until I graduated from high school. And then I 
took the practical road and I was going to become a professor. I was in kind of a popular <laughs> sure. campus band, but I thought, you know, that's an irresponsible thing to do. Be a musician for your life. And so I took a year off and then I was going to head to Madison for grad school. And I got a call from the lead singer in the band uh, who I played in, played with in college. And he said, do you want to form a band? I said, I don't know. He said, just let me just play you these songs that I've been writing. So he played these songs for me over the phone. Literally, <laughs> I, was, I was in Chicago about ready to go to Madison to you know, get settled for grad school. And he played me these songs, and they were amazing. And I said, John, okay, um, let's do it. <laughs> so my mindset changed. Music became this legitimate thing. And I thought, okay, I'm a drummer now. I'm going to call myself a drummer. That was a big, courageous step. And we're going to start this band. And that was 1993. How old were you then? Sorry, I, was 20, to, I think I yeah, was 23. Low was, 20s? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was 23. Just about to turn 24. And what uh, what were your parents' views on this? You had four older sisters? Are, are you the youngest si- child? I'm the youngest and oh, four wow. older sisters. Yeah. Wow. And I had one older sister, thank God, that was an actress. Ah. And so she had kind of paved that art is legitimate road. Yeah. And so I, w- I was nervous to tell my parents that, okay, I'm not going to grad school. I'm going to form a band. Mm-hmm. And my parents were just super chill about it. They were like, "Great, glad you're happy." <laughs> and I think, oh, and I learned great. then that it was I who was putting all of that pressure on myself to do the responsible thing. It's classic. I mean, it's totally classic. And and that you know that's what my blog, my dumb drummer blog, mm-hmm. is all about. Is for you know people whether they're professional creative people or whether they're just hobbyists or whether they would like to think of themselves as creative, but they really are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of overcoming that you know that impediment that totally we all we all have had it oh yeah i mean if that's even if uh if this podcast or if anything we do i feel like a lot of the work i'm trying to do too is aimed at that it's like helping people feel like they're legitimate and that they can do those things because that guy there's so much good art and good like creativity and just like all of the things that blossom from that like trapped inside people because of that so it's so it's so true Mm -hmm. and for me i mean the real bringing it, circling it for the first time back to the relationship thing. If it wasn't for my relationship with John Osby, who I, again, I played in that band with in, in college, I wouldn't have started that band Spy Mob, mm-hmm. which, you know, I was with that we had together for 12 years. Because, yeah, it's incredible. Because I love drumming. I knew that. I knew I loved drumming. But it was really about the collaborative experience. Interestingly, in my mind, at the time my biggest hurdle was was really identifying myself as a drummer mm. because I felt like my primary responsibility was to become the best drummer I could be. So when we started Spy Mob, I was practicing six, eight hours a day and, you know, had my day job and um, had my band rehearsal. So it was a full packed schedule. It was a crazy time. And I did grow a lot as a drummer, but it was really a lot later when Spy Mob was done and our work with NERD was done and, and my session drumming started making me feel whenever I would leave a session, when I was even working with a really cool, notable artist, I would just feel empty inside. And it just didn't make any sense to me because for so long, you know, after college, I started this band and my identity was drummer. But I realized that what I loved most about Spy Mob and working with John and Brent and Brian and 
twig in spy mob and everyone else we worked with was the working with other people yeah the collaboration right so when those projects were done and we were becoming parents and i was supporting my family with session work and other and other drumming work and drumming wasn't the thing that was ah. See, making me that... feel happy I, that was a moment where i thought wait a second here i've you know i've loved drumming my whole life but it, after all it's not the thing that i love most it is the working with totally. other people to make cool shit. That's, uh, I mean, because I, I like to jump around like disciplines and mediums, and I've more recently yeah, been shooting a lot of, yeah, a, <laughs> I've been shooting a lot of photos, but it's really not even the, like, it's not even about the photos. It's about, I love that part- that kind of experience, yeah. and the way I shoot the stuff is like, oh, I have an awesome experience most times. And it's, yep. but that transfers across to, a whole host of other disciplines or mediums or whatever you want to do. Right. And then you take up cooking for a while and you realize that uh, uh, spices. And, uh, well, not yet. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. All right. Maybe. <laughs> but it's all related and it all interacts. Yeah, I totally. You're totally yeah, right. Yeah. But okay. So, I mean, I just feel like I don't want to glaze over this chronology yeah. because I just feel like that's really interesting because a lot of people get so caught up in like, and I, I mean, the point of skipping over it is that like, oh yeah, well like this is kind of what I gleaned from and this is where I went, whatever. But like the reality is like, so you were 23, yeah. you're supposed to go to grad school, mm. you form a band yep, and then what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll fill in that middle. So we form a band called Spy Mob in 1993 and we are, you know, it's one of those blues brothers on a mission from God kind of moments. And we had this yeah. vision of what we wanted to create and yeah. it was weird. And at the time that we were forming a band, boy bands were emerging and Britney had emerged and the sort of, and we were like a blue eyed soul group. We were kind of like a steely Dan. Mm. We didn't think of ourselves this way, but in retrospect, we were like Ben folds five a bit yeah. know, before sure. Ben folds emerged. And when he did, we were like, Hey, wait a second. <laughs> but we were kind of piano driven yeah. and some more sophisticated chords. Um, and it took us a while to find our sound. We were a band for seven years before we got any attention. But wow. but from the beginning, we had a holy very shit, strong though. <laughs> like holy shit, I'm just saying. If that doesn't speak to the sustaining <laughs> nature of collaboration that you guys can <laughs> together and and still bear through it for seven years of, I don't I don't want to say fruitlessness, but before you were discovered and appreciated. Yeah, that speaks volumes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> The thing, the thing that we did during those seven years is become a great band. And John was, John was the songwriter in the group. Um, it was really his songwriting vision and then our collective sound that really defined Spy Mob. And we became a great band. We meandered a lot in like what the stylistic focus was. But it was really six, seven or eight years even into, no, six Six years before we found a batch of songs that both tickled our fancy and then got the attention of people. Wow. You know, just and you're massive. all working like other jobs, and working other jobs. Yeah, that is a jobs, grind, man. Office jobs. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, how were your relationships during that time? I think about this stuff a lot. Yeah. Just because, like, in the band. Well, well, no. I mean, even outside of that, because work-life balance, whatever you want to call that, we've talked about that at length. But it yeah. it is just an interesting thing when you're like trying to dedicate your life to something or to craft or crafts, and you're just like, 
how do I balance out things that aren't that? Yeah, I was just at St. Olaf College talking about this a oh, couple cool. weeks ago. Cool, cool. Because it was a group of young, passionate, uh, creative management students, and they're oh wow, they have to... a management program. They've got. I don't think it's a. It's a I don't think it's. A oh, major, okay, okay, okay. But, but they have a class that's all about um, arts management. Wow, it's, that's interesting, it's man. Super great. It's such a big part of it, like it's of the really arts. Cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, and these are most of them. I always pull. I spoke there last year too and i always ask okay what are you doing and most of them were artists themselves trying to get a handle on what to do with their careers which is which is really good and i talked about balance because something i have always struggled with and i like to think that i'm better than i was last year and five years ago and ten years ago but i know that i'm better now Um, but certainly in my 20s one thing that i really struggled with was to really find relationship centers that are uh, ahead of and distinct from my artistic activities. When you are a young creative person and you know that that's what you have to do or really want to do to be happy, Mm. because it takes so much time and attention to hone your craft and then to get attention for it and then to follow through so many things can suffer. Relationships are often the first thing to go, and then people get lonely, and then bad things can happen. You, know, yeah, you can man. develop really bad habits, and and you can't really sustain your career that way. And so I think you know that relationships and people can marry their art. And I think in in one important way that wasn't healthy. I gave my band too much attention. Mm-hmm. Not that it didn't need a lot of attention, but I would have been better to give my band good attention, but then to really find, you know, an emotional center outside of the band, mm-hmm. you know, in friendships and and rom- romantic relationships that really were primary. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that. That it. That's something I feel like a lot of people struggle with, and. I have struggled with it personally is like you're you want you maybe think of yourself as a generous person and so then you try and be generous and you're way too generous quote unquote with your time to to a degree where it's detrimental to you and therefore you are not actually uh capable and you it's just bad for everyone. Yeah, and that opens up a whole, you know, totally related conversation yeah. about, you know, when do you say no, you know, to clients or when do you say no to even um fun sounding relationships that you probably don't have the time to do right now. And you forget that you have the right and the power and uh, to say, Hey, wait, what if we do this in two months? Or actually I'm not interested in doing this. I just want you to know now. So you don't waste your time. Yeah. yeah. Respect. <laughs> that can be hard for forever. Anyone. Okay. So there we are. Spy mob. Yep. You start to get some acclaim early thousands, early aughts. Yeah. So like 1999, we created this six song EP and we did it ourselves along with a producer great friend uh amazing engineer alex awana who has been in los angeles for a long time doing all kinds of things but at the time we all went to saint olaf together alex did oh wow and we hold up in an amazing studio that's no longer there called cd underbelly on washington avenue in minneapolis nice Semisonic recorded their record girls against boys recorded there and then we finally recorded our bigger album there but we made this really special collection of six songs 
And I stayed up days and nights and doing research on how do you get music that you're proud of into the hands of influential people. We got two amazing attorneys, both at the same firm, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and let them loose. They were super passionate. I learned very early that if you don't have managers or lawyers that don't flip for your art, then they're not the right people. So that was another relationship lesson. And these guys got a bidding war brewing between Epic Records and RCA. And Epic won the battle. Um, And we got a big record deal and a big publishing deal. And our music started filtering through the music industry. Um, And then a year later, after we spent a lot of this money recording a big album with a big time producer at the time, Epic dropped us before the album came out. Oh, wow. So that was that was really tough. That was that was emotionally super tough. But this was one of those moments that I learned so much from. We were promised all of this success. We expected all of this success. Lord knows we'd earned it. <laughs> we think we deserve. Yeah. So we thought we we deserved so much, and then we were dropped. And when you're dropped from a label or then when labels meant more than they do now you become damaged goods Mm -hmm. and so it's not like you could easily just take that music and resell it someplace else Mm -hmm. but you never know what happens in the background of your life so you you know here we were four guys in our studio just thinking that you know there's no future Or how do we find a future? What are we going to do? We were really bummed out. But we were also determined. So we weren't, we were sad and we were uh, knocked down, but I wouldn't say we were despairing. We were strategizing and working on coming up with new material and making sure our attorneys knew that we were super committed still to to making things happen. But it was a tough road. And there were a few months there when we didn't know what our fate was going to be. So maybe this is a good time. I've been kind of waiting to ask this question. Something I'm curious about in terms of relationships is the relationship dynamic between you and the other members of the band over this multi-decade working together process. Was it pretty fluid throughout? Did it change? Did it grow? Did it evolve? Or was it kind of like a steadying force in all of your careers? It was both for sure. Um, we had uh, two bass players. Um, the band started with a bass player named Brian Russler. And Brian has always been a, a close friend. Um, he was a friend before Spy Mob and when he became a member and, um, and then after he left. And he, when he, in that sort of phase one of the band, uh, before we got signed to Epic and while we were with Epic, and then we were dropped. Brian left the band after we were dropped um, to do to do something even more risky in the arts, which is to become an orchestral bass player, which he's been very successful. Wow. Yeah. Well, kudos to him as a Jeez. side. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but in that phase one, um, there was lots of tension in the band. And my, you know, everyone played their role. Um I'm not going to speak to other people's roles, but uh, the, the the role that I played was 
working my best to be the peacemaker, which is a very dangerous role to play. One, because, the most dangerous. <laughs> one, because, you know, if you're going to keep the peace, you still have to let make sure everyone's authenticity comes out. Uh-huh. Um, and so what I actually tried to do was facilitate, you know, I was kind of the manager within the band. We had our band manager, but I was like the internal manager. Yeah. I was kind of the mother hen a bit. So <laughs> my, my, my goal, I think, always was to make sure that everyone was communicating. But I think what happened, what, what that, what happened, what would happen from time to time is I wouldn't allow shit to just work itself out as it as it would like i would be often the filter for it which i think was good in some ways but it prevented direct take the condom off kind of dialogue (laughs) hold on (laughs) first of all i have not heard that term second of all what is your obsession (laughs) with contraceptives and and sexual lack thereof yeah okay Uh, all right all right right. was there what's the other allusion to contraception Oh, uh, that we had well, illegitimate. Uh, the assumption, the, the assumption was that there was no contraception. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, sorry, that was the second. It's it's a bit yeah, of a it was number two. So far, but that's I, okay. If we can hit three, that'd be great. I'd, I'd actually love to complete the triangle at some point during I, the episode. I think I can totally do it. I feel like take the gloves off is maybe a, a more common phrase. <laughs> but it wasn't always fighting. You know, sometimes sometimes it was, it was sexual. <laughs> <laughs> it was never sexual. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but but it was. But there was definitely, I mean, you're in a band, you're working out songs, you know, John as a songwriter is completely exposed and he's not exposed, you know, every time he brought in a song and he brought in, you know, scores of songs over the course of the band's life. Um, He's in in a room with guys he completely respects. And there, that's one thing I can say in Spy Mob, there was always admiration around the room. That's awesome. Um, that's so important. Right. And then anytime we were arranging, throwing out ideas, everyone's exposed. You know, Brent, why don't you try... Eric, why don't you try that? Brian Twig, why don't you try this? God. I mean, it's... You're just sitting there. You're you're naked. Yeah. Dude, the, I'm just sorry. The, the band environment is such an interesting one. Like, I was talking years. to... I, oh, my God. Yeah. I was talking... I was saying I went on that tour with Gallant and Sufjan for right. like nine days. Yeah. And that was so interesting to see the dynamic of the band. It was the first tour. It was like... Yeah. And then to see Sufjan's band and how they interact. And then, like, I've just been exposed to, like, more people. And it's, like, that world is, like, it's really interesting. I just can't – the dynamic there. And the yeah. egos. I mean, it's sort mm-hmm. of such a – not I don't say ego-driven, but, like, music, especially on the higher levels, is, like, there's so much energy from the audience around that. And it just feels like, man, egos could just get out of hand so quickly. And that I – I have to say, I mean, we were a band for 12 years and, yeah. you know, as much as I've just been talking about the difficulty in um, having a consistently smooth creative process, I am so proud of all the, the guys in that band through, uh-huh. throughout because there were tensions and there were, you know, there were shouting matches, but we worked it out. I mean, one thing that this band always did Everyone would come back in the room, people would take responsibility, and we would move on. And and that wasn't my doing, um, mm. even though that's kind of the role that I wanted to play. Everyone uh, everyone took responsibility. So there was there was sure there were egos, but there was there was intimacy. I mean it was real creative and personal intimacy 
intimacy. Like we, we knew so much yeah. about, you know, the details of how, and the, the how we, how we worked, how mm-hmm. we ticked mm-hmm. everyone in the room. I mean, one, one little moment in the band's life that was super key and awesome was in 1997, we had released our first record, which is this really great, I think, but meandering pop, sort of prog pop record that, that was not selling many copies at all. Yeah. And that, that was like our big Sgt. Pepper's moment. Yeah, yeah, we were yeah. like, okay, we're going to make our big statement. But, it, you know, we were not made for those times. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> afterwards, we were exhausted. We were creatively, I was creatively exhausted. And I applied for a travel study grant to go to Brazil because I had fallen in love with Brazilian music. I didn't want to be in a Brazilian band or be a professional Brazilian musician, but I just, I needed to get away and I, and I wanted a different experience musically. So I went down the two months before carnival and I had been learning a couple uh, Brazilian percussion instruments and I hung out with people who looked nothing like me, had skin color, nothing like me and stayed up all night in these huge arenas practicing with these escolas to samba, samba schools, uh, in anticipation of Carnival in 1997. And it was amazing. And when I left, I thought I was going to come back two months later to a broken up band. This is sort of in the... We had just begun recording that six-song EP, but we had no idea what was to come. And there were a couple members of the band that you know, were sort of deciding whether or not they were going to continue to be in a band together and they were critical members and I came back and everyone was getting along and everyone was happy <laughs> and I and I learned a couple things um, one this is an amazing resilient band and two it's good if I just get the yeah, fuck out yeah you know for a while both for me if, if mom like, leaves the room and just lets the kids right, and I'm not responsible <laughs> and I'm actually you know not the most qualified to 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 help but wow. but again back that what is point. carnival by the way i don't know so carnival oh, excuse me <laughs> no in the portuguese carnival <laughs> okay um but carnival yeah and um, carnival is a, ultimately a pagan um tradition pre-easter um feast where and every every latin american culture and South American culture has their own version of it, but Brazil's is peerless there. Mm-hmm. So it's the period in January and February um, that culminates uh, in, uh, um, why am I forgetting the, the Christian holiday? That Easter? Has, well, it's before Easter. It's um, um, Oh, January and February. Lent? Uh, yeah. Oh, is that what I, I don't want to get this wrong in the podcast. Wow, oh, you're fine. But I mean, it's it's all right. We'll show notes the real answer. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're yelling at home right now, don't worry. Check the website. <laughs> but what happens is, and their version of it is, I mean, Brazil is already a carnal physical culture, <laughs> um, if nothing else, and they're 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 the way they embrace music and the body. I mean, it's like. What, what we see when we see images of carnival in Rio de Janeiro here on the news, which looks so sexual and scandalous, yeah. it's there. It's just sensuality. And there are, you know, bare-breasted women and, you know, scantily clad men and women, samba dancing on huge elaborate floats. Amazing. I mean, I could talk about this could be a whole podcast. Uh, yeah. But perhaps it, off pod. But it's really can... <laughs> a celebration of, of 
of life and fertility and uh, yeah. and you know um, hedonism. I mean, um, take the condom off, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all, yeah. <laughs> but the amazing thing is that carnival in Rio and it's and all over Brazil is driven. Um, there's a lot of money behind it, um, but that money it filters through the poorest neighborhoods, um, and it's these neighborhoods or these uh, favelas. Favelas, yep. It's these favelas that organize and write the music and and wow. build the floats and create the themes and come up with the dances and the choreography to compete in this big stadium called the Sombadromo, which is like the Samba Dome every year. And they're like these hundreds of schools that compete. And then it's there's nothing what like a, that. What a there's fascinating like little that. aside that we yeah, what, what a path that we I feel like we up. took the journey with you quick. Thank just you. Off, I'm happy. Just off the path. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we went there. So when you talk about you witnessing the dynamic change like that, how would you say the relationships were different at the end of the band's career than they were at the beginning? Well, four of the members did pass in a tragic car accident, and and for that it was different. Well, maybe before I, I explain that, because I think that's a great that's a great question. I'm, I mean, it, it's so great that you asked that question because I just got a a a, 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 a text a text checks his phone. A text what is this from Christian Twig, the second bass player in the band? Unbelievable! Is he oh, listening nice. live right now? Yeah, right. <laughs> What did he say? He you should just listening. read it. So, 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 okay. So I'll read the text and then I'll, then I'll, then I'll. Please, yeah, it. perfect. Okay. So he said, he said, "Ah, Lottie, I'm listening to the song right now, and I'm straight tripping on your performance." <laughs> Beautiful. And I, oh, I love and that. I said, "What song?" And he said, "Oops, Reno," which is, you know, about two weeks ago I posted this Reno performance, which is Spy Mob. It's just before we got the name right. It's like the first few months of the band. We wow. Called, we called ourselves Reno. This is So this is with Brian as bass player. Twig is a few years in the future. Oh, cool. So I posted this old song of us performing at the recording of us. Oh, yes. I actually saw band. that. I yeah. saw that. And I was like, I saw. I read the post. I didn't listen to the song, but I was like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's ancient it's, band history. Yeah. And I said, what song? He said, Oops, Reno. I said, oh, yeah. Quite another time that was. And he said, almost in tears. Seriously. I said, aw, hug, buddy. <laughs> and, and then he says, now I'm crying. Oh, oh get him. Man, that's Hugs back. Real. And I said, it's a great song. And he said, everything is just so deep. So that's Twig commenting on this band many years before he joined it, because he was a huge fan of the band. So what happened after that six-song EP, everyone's getting along. We get this attention, this bidding war. We get signed. We get dropped. We think we're totally lost. We might be breaking up. And this kind of obscure, kind of famous cat named Pharrell Williams shows up, and we're his favorite band. (laughs) Now, this is just a great lesson in how perseverance, continuing to believe in yourself and not giving up, has surprising ways of making things work out. Not that every silver lining is in the form of a Pharrell Williams, but 
from time to time, you get a Pharrell Williams that comes along or a Seth Godin yeah. who, who gives you an opportunity and an opportunity to prove yourself. So Pharrell shows up. It was actually in a conversation with Epic Records president, Polly Anthony, who told him she dropped Spy Mob. And Pharrell said, you dropped Spy Mob? You're freaking crazy. Pharrell and Spy Mob by chance happened to share the same music attorney, but that's not how we got connected. But Tim, our music attorney, gives Pharrell my number and we connect and I fly out to LA and suddenly Spy Mob is hanging out with P. Diddy and Mary J. Blige and Khalees. That is sensational. And so and so who knew? So then for the next, you know, that's 2000 and, and between 2000 and 2005, we made one record with NERD as their backup band. Um, the second record, the core three members recorded the instruments themselves, but we still were touring with them. So for five years, we were on the road with NERD, performing also as Spy Mob, opening for NERD. Brent and I continued to record with Pharrell and NERD through about 2008. And now Brent, our guitarist, is still Pharrell's guitarist, you know, traveling the world all the time. So Twig entered the picture as the, our bass player when just before, no, before, before Pharrell got interested. So, but that whole second act of Spy Mob, <laughs> yeah. Twig was in the band. And during that time, two more labels bought the same record that we created for Epic. Crazy. So we thought that album was dead, but then Arista bought it, but then Arista dropped us. Pharrell was fighting with, with the head of Arista. And then another Sony label, Ruthless Records, uh, which is um, uh, uh, dead. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is dead now. But picked us up and okay. finally released the record in two thousand five. So it it took it took a while. How many years? Yeah. How- but it was Easy E's label. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. There you go. Yeah. So when was this? When was the record finished? In in two thousand. Five fucking years later? Spring of 2000... I'm going to get this right. It was spring of... Spring of 2000. Yeah. That's insane, man. That's like... I mean, it is and I guess it isn't. Especially if you're somebody who's trying to create anything timeless... It kind of does, it shouldn't matter as much, but well, like the the idea of sitting on a record for five years it sounds crazy to me. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah, it, it was crazy. I mean, you know, so Confirmed. so crazy. do you get do you guys get to I, I, do you guys get to keep the money from your deal though? And then like yeah. when they drop you, okay, okay. Yeah, and how that worked was the God. deal with Epic was an incredible deal because okay. it, was, it was called a two firm deal, which meant that Epic had to pay for and release two records. Oh, sweet. So they dropped us before releasing the first one. So we had a choice. We could either collect the big fat advance for the second record Uh and and leave with that. Or they gave us the option of walking with our record. Oh. Because we couldn't keep our record and take the money. Oh, I see. But let's... So we took the record. Yeah, yeah. Because we wanted our music. Yeah. And we successfully sold it then. To Arista, who paid us, you know, a good amount of money. Sure. And then when they dropped us, we kept the money and also got the record back. <laughs> we might want to look into this, Vince. So, so we, made, we, we made more money off of not releasing Unbelievable. Isn't that, anyone that's else. just, I mean, testament to like good um, litigation, not good litigation, but good lawyers. Excuse me. And like, that's important, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, in the music industry, it's hard to find attorneys gosh. who 
have the combination of they're passionate about you as an artist, plus they're well-respected, plus they know how to navigate that line between the golfing and the whining and dining of the music industry people, which they do, <laughs> but also being loyal to their artists. Yeah. Sure. And our attorneys were just... Well, that's cool. Just amazing. I mean, and relationships. So, if there's anything I've, I've learned, honestly, the biggest takeaway for me on that tour and in interfacing with a lot of these musicians and their managers has been like, oh my god, it takes an army. Like, there's there. Yeah, I, what I it seems it seems to me is that a lot of these really successful musicians, they're great, they're fantastic, whatever. Well, you have to be. But but like that's yeah, that's like okay, step one. But yep. it's the great teams they have around them that that I think separates the losers from, or not losers. I don't say that, but the, the really, shoot. really successful yeah. people from the less. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's true. And it doesn't matter what level you're at. Good, good collaborators, good relationship. It's everything. Yeah, man. It, it's so important. It is, man. Well, I, I'd hate to, to put what has been a, a white hot conversation on ice a little bit. But I think Ooh. we might end up doing just that as we take our customary turn into the world of off-topic topicking. Uh, since our last recording, Minneapolis got its first snowfall, first significant snowfall. And it, uh, of course, causes some chaos with school systems and the transportation here, even though we should be used to it after 200 years of being a city. That said... <laughs> Something that is a tradition fond to us all is the snow day. And that's what we're talking mm. about on the off-topic topic. You have kids, Eric. Yeah. Clearly, How old? it has a more literal S- meaning to six, you in some ways. Six, six, yeah, six five, uh, seven. Uh, 14, 12, and seven. 14, 12, seven. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. 14, 12, and seven. I'm a huge snow day fan. Grant, I won't speak for you. But Eric, what do you think about snow days? And what do you do on a snow day? Well, I was thinking about snow days on the way over because with this El Nino, I'm just not sure how, what kind of snow days we're going to have. Is but it let's a storm? Say, Is that a storm on the horizon? No, it's, it's a big it's a uh, pressure system over the Pacific that moves over the Pacific up the California coast. I found myself to be particularly aloof of like <laughs> of uh, of meteorology <laughs> and and I think actually a lot of topics in I, general. I lately. should probably point out that. I wanted to be a meteorologist <laughs> no as, a, as a child. Yeah, my mom would take me I, on more than one occasion. My mom would take me to the local ABC affiliate, and I would watch the weatherman in his the green fuck? screen. I think That's it was a fantastic. blue screen at the time. Uh, so yeah, That's so we can talk about meteorology. Can we? Oh, Please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you, are you a fan of the cold weather in general? No. No. Interesting. In, yeah. No. I been I have this surfer hair because you do. Yeah. I. I want to look into the mirror and think I'm I'm in Santa Cruz. I'm a ch- I'm a chill <laughs> I'm in, bra. I'm in Santa Cruz, <laughs> dude. I mean, we've spent actually a fair amount of time. Well, a fair amount of time out in LA together. I mean, yeah. that was that was part of yeah. the relationship. Yeah, no. And I must. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a slight bow here. You've been like instrumental in allowing me to like do a bunch of projects in LA. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank yeah. you, homie. Uh, but but so I am not a fan of the cold weather. I think it's beautiful. I grew up. I grew up here, but I was just telling one of my sons the other day. It's and it's not even it's not even super cold here uh, for Minnesota standards. Yeah. But I said, you know, I just I just don't need this anymore. I'm kind of done, and I would miss it in a few years. But I I, I don't I don't I don't so love it. I see so you're ready to. But I think it's beautiful. You know, with the snow, I think is beautiful. You know, when we get a, a good blanket of snow, it's sure. hard. But the logistics, I think the logistics of having 
three kids and it's it's Oof. not and it's not just the cold. I mean, that's really the least of it. I can manage the cold. It's all the it, you know, it's six mittens. It's six hats. It's six making sure that the you know, I mean, and they lose them, it's, so it's, it's probably hats, like minutes. eighteen. Right. You're looking yeah. at maybe, uh, I mean, twenty-four. Yeah, staying full and the driving redundancies, not to be overlooked. You know, not to be overlooked, but my Subaru. This is well, a wow. Subaru for so. Break. Well, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go ahead and show notes. Episode seventy-eight. Yep. The episode just before yours, you'll yeah. be seventy-nine, I believe, uh, which was with my dad. I don't know if you saw that. Um. Yeah, I listened to. Some oh, of did that. you? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, but he is a current Subaru dealer. He had very fun things to say about this. So, for, oh, if this you if you find yourself in yeah. need of of a new car, or you want to trade in, or, or you just want to talk to and somebody, thank you, thank <laughs> you to our sponsors at Subaru, Saint Cloud Subaru, Saint Cloud Subaru, and everyone at Subaru Corporate who makes this podcast possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm we just worked on a Subaru commercial. Oh, did you um, with yeah. Carmichael, Young Carmichael? Yeah, no? yeah okay. We submitted tracks for it. We cool. We've yet to hear back, but um, what's the slogan? Love. It's what makes Subaru. A Subaru. Subaru, yeah, boom, boom. But it's but you know I am an emotionally invested Subaru fan. Be- That's so cool because I never get stuck. I never get stuck because if one if one wheels in the ditch spinning, the other three are getting me out. I've I can't re- I never that got AWD. Stuck. That goes back to the classic advertising problem in quotes and air quotes there. Like you can, it is great creative work at Carmichael Lynch, and I have friends that work on the account. I'm a big fan of theirs. I'm a big fan of Subaru's work. But if it didn't have a really legitimately good, reliable product behind it, it would do bullshit for the for the brand. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, you can't have love. It's what makes Subaru Subaru, unless it's real. I mean, that, that would be a schmaltzy mm-hmm. shtick. But but because that car works. I mean, my car has so many it has 168,000 miles. Oh, on I know. It, he, I my dad it. was riffing about that. Was he on the podcast? Or no? Maybe he didn't mention that, but he had just had customers in with like 200 and X yeah. thousand miles. Some other dude like 300,000. It's just like crazy. Yeah. 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 So you're immune to those conditions because of your great Subaru brand vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> but the getting through this no, I mean, ask if you ask me a specific I loved snow days and you know, we had a ton of snow days what two years ago three years ago just like it was crazy mm-hmm. the but year for, of for, snowmageddon for, yeah the, colla- the roof collapsed on the metrodome that was four oh, years ago i think four years ago yeah those are logistical nightmares for parents yeah so what happens if you do have a snow day with the well, kid with the kids at home thankfully now my 14 year old has a phone and is responsible enough to take care of his you know the 12 year old oh, cool. can pretty much take care of these are great kids and they yeah. can pretty much take care of themselves but Four years ago, it was it was tough. I mean, we just you know, as a since I own my own business, co-own my own business, yeah, that gives me a lot of flexibility. So you know, that's that's, that's nice. cool. Yeah, true. And for them, I'm happy for them. When there's a snow day, you I can't help but be nostalgic. Oh my gosh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What a treat. I mean, what a treat amid a, a flurry of not treats. <laughs> yes, exactly. Silver linings for those snow clouds. Um, Grant, do you have any fond snow day memories? Ooh, good question. Hmm. I don't have anything queued up, but I mean, I feel like a lot of times, like if I'm thinking maybe earlier, much earlier, it was, it was all sorts of just snow shenanigans, you know? Snow fun. Snow fun. You know, it was get, get the, uh, get the snow pants on. Check. Okay. Get the boots on. Check. Okay. Get the. 
get the uh, oh, well, uh, I already have the long underwear on check okay and then etc etc I get the coat the hat the mittens maybe some hand warmers and you're know. basically Im- impervious to the snow yeah, cold certainly it's uh, a big bundle you're like a, a big waddling bundle of clothes yeah and you can fall in the banks and that's a great feeling I yeah I do. maybe I can I drum do. up a picture of me in like a snow thing I'll see I'll see what I can do okay I'm I'll see what I can do Vinny. <laughs> Yo. What about you, man? You're in the throes of Wisconsin? We are in the in the remote north. Um, so it, things got pretty bad when it got really snowy and cold. Yeah. We had a stretch where we had a whole week of school canceled. I remember this. Wow. I was in eighth grade. and Nope, ninth grade. And we got it canceled because we had no indoor bus garages at the time. We're kind of a poor school district, so we just had a big outdoor bus garage. And we had district nine. sub- we had sub 15 below temperatures mm. for a whole week, and the diesel fuel in the buses gelled up, so they couldn't <laughs> run them. They couldn't run any of the buses. Unbelievable. And since people, kids would come from all over the district, because we're a tiny town, very sparsely populated, the most sparsely populated county in Wisconsin, Price wow. County, um, no one could get to school reliably, so they closed it for a whole week. Uh, and that was, that was paradise. That was Unbelievable. euphoria. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, dude, I remember, here's what I do remember. I remember running out very early, um, and I was still a night owl, I think, even during my younger years. Even your youth. Yeah, but it's like 6 a.m., and you're checking the cancellations, and there's no fucking lit. There's no, there's no, this is, okay, okay. Yeah, this, pre, this, like, this is the equivalent. Websites. This is the equivalent of, of what exists today, which is the bullshit, like, slideshow gallery things. <laughs> this was yeah. that on TV where it's just the ticker. The ticker. And you have to wait, you have to wait, like, oh, six and a half right. minutes. And I was in yeah. St. Cloud. I was yeah. in St. Cloud. Yeah, it's not the end, but it's not the start. This is a Spaniard. This is very similar to my last name. I'm, you know, we're waiting a while. Yeah, so we're not trying to say we're born before the internet or whatever, but a lot of these like local schools and news stations didn't have like functional websites. Oh, I was born way before the internet. Right, right. (laughs) You know, thankfully Ames is right at the start. Oh wow, (laughs) good for you. True, true. Uh, Yeah, that was an anxious moment because the updates would come in slowly. Well, and sometimes it would be like delay. And then you're like, oh, it's just delayed a few hours. I'm going to have to check back. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'm going to grab a couple more hours of sleep. And you're just hoping for that full-on cancellation. And the thing about the snow day, it's it's a double bonus because school's canceled, so rock on. And then you have a bucket load of snow. Oh, yeah. You know, the, this is true. It, the cold days of a few years ago, that's horrible. Yeah, right. It was I too mean, cold you, to even go off, outside, essentially. School, that's great. But... You're you're housebound. Yeah, you're not like those times where they like have the advisory to take your pets from outside indoors. Yeah, it's like crazy. Well, let's hope for some snow days this year. Just a couple, I guess. I to be sure. Well, yeah, I guess I do. I do love it. To be fair though, like now because I have studio here, like I work at home mostly. It's like, and most of my clients. The majority of my clients are either in California or like New York, and it's you don't like have to get out of your long johns. You just well, but I'm already not doing that, so I'm saying like their work goes on. And but so, think of the kids out there, think right. of the young yeah, okay, right. Eric's and Grants out there who still need those snow days. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just saying okay. like they, they maybe lost a little bit of their appeal. I'm actually I, I feel like my snow day would be to like leave for like a week and go back out to LA or something. Yeah. I will say this quickly. There's a lot of commuters from the suburbs in my office and I walk to work. On super snow days, most of them will call in and it'll be very much like a, a substitute teacher. Like, 
nobody's at the office and i just get to like oh kick cool back. it's like it's deserted it's quiet i get a little work done mostly i screw around <laughs> those are the good days those are the days i love, love when it. those days go well and the business carries on you i mean it more and more we just think why do we need to be yeah at the right office we're anymore? freaking out and we're wait hold on <laughs> but maybe it's because we need to be around surrounded by our coworkers and our collaborators on a daily basis to do better work I think I think daily is aggressive. Daily is aggressive. Well, at least consistently in some capacity. There we go. It's just a theory. It's one no, theory. No, I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, we experience that. I mean, back to relationships. Music these days, when we're creating music for our clients, we still will have clients over, but yeah. not nearly as much as we used to because everyone is creating so much content so quickly they, there's no time there's yeah. not time for the in-person meeting so our biggest job as a company that really understands that consistent you know our clients who we have consistent relationships with they do better work with us and we do better work with them when those relationships are consistent mm-hmm. and it's harder to develop that when it's only virtual and a lot of our you know our clients are about 50% in town and 50% out of town. So it's always a struggle anyway to have that first person relationship with out of town clients. But whenever we can get it, you know, whether it's, a, you know, coworkers are the same way who you're creating with, even Skype is better than just the phone. Yeah. I mean, we, as Grant and I do this podcast, we totally agree. Having people like today in studio to record with us just makes the process that much better, that much more fun. Human. You spoke to it earlier. You can see expressions. You can see inflection. And you can aim your words towards a real human face. And it yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Uh, oh, it's my pleasure. We will kick it to the, the end of our conversation with two questions, if yeah, you great. wouldn't mind answering them for yeah, us. Sure. Uh, the first one would be, how can our listeners support you, Eric? Oh, that's a great question. Um Let's do number. Let's do the second one, and then I'll come. We'll circle back. Yeah. Oh, are we able a to bold choice? Typically, we don't allow that because we like. Well, I mean, okay, maybe we, we like the the show to end on sort of an altruistic okay, note. So okay, so but... no, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I take that back. So how can they support? We'll me? edit that out. <laughs> no, we won't. That is such a great question. I mean, uh, let know, me let me pitch I, you for a second. You can de- go yeah. check out the work. Like, I think that's one way of supporting you. Depends and- on who your listeners are. <laughs> there are lots of, there are plenty of ways I can be supported. Um, <laughs> these days, I'm not um, uh, performing a lot. So it's not like I can say, you come out and see my Go band. buy my yeah, album. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think, you know, I think this, I mean, one way to answer this, this is the first thing that came to mind was, um, I just had a conversation this morning with a composer who we reach out to when you know we need extra help and he's one of the most amazing com- composers who i know just he happens to live in minneapolis but he would be on my list of all the composers that i can think of across the country and around the world who i know and one thing we were talking about was uh, he said you know just please always keep me in mind and he's the top of the list but you know he like a lot of creatives especially composers right now there's so much competition yeah. from library music libraries and yeah. picture libraries you know like 
um, stock because of the pace of production that people can support me by taking the time. I'm going to say with music, but I think it's any creative piece of the puzzle. And as much as possible, think of music in advance. Think yeah. of how music impacts your project. Yeah. And whether it's Egg or one of our competitors. I just also got news from someone else today that one of our big competitors in Los Angeles uh, has either gone away or really downsized. Again, because of how original music is being overlooked Treated, because yeah. of speed and I'm, I'm guilty of it too i mean even on this exact last project yeah and it's like i i had a pretty serious conversation with the composer i'm working with which was like because he's done so many good projects for yeah. me he's so good and it's like i'm like i'm so sorry but i don't have a very big budget and there's not a lot of time and it's and so budget's one thing and for sure but what i'm talking about so let's say you're working on a smaller budget we we will adapt to that and yes we might downsize because of that but the budget's one thing, it's another thing, and even worse, to just neglect, to think it's not important, or to not ah, involve yeah. your composer, because that composer said yes, right? Mm -hmm. And they approved the budget, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And if we approve a budget and then we sulk about it, <laughs> that's not okay. Right, yeah, yeah. So, and that's not even the biggest problem. It's the haste and the not understanding that there even is a composer, because what's happening right now with the speed of production is that producers are younger. Yeah. They forget that there even are composers. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so library, stock music libraries are thought of first. We have some competitors use us as their library. And, you know, we do multiple searches a day for them. And these are projects where the picture looks good, there's a narrative, and they're trying to find a track last minute that just happens to fit the picture perfectly. And you can get close, but there's nothing like bringing a composer in. Oh, yeah. So you can support me by working either with us or one of our competitors or a composer friend of totally, yours. Man. And make sure, just think of music first. Talk to them about it early on and get their opinion. It's but so involve important. Them it's so important. Even if it's a small budget, because a, a small budget where music is appreciated and that tradition of appreciation continues is better than a bigger budget now and original music goes away in a year. Well, and shouts out, I mean, beyond composers, even, well, I mean, the, sometimes they're the same, but also to sound design and to mix, like, sound design makes unfucking believable. I mean, yeah. that's what, you know, working with you on the Vasky stuff, it's like, that's just a, it's a totally different level. And I think it, like, it's so important. It's it like really so important. Can, yeah, yeah. People may not complain when you use that library track. But they, or they might, but they may not complain, but you don't know the difference. Exactly. Music, music is, I mean, it's one of those things, especially I feel like artistically, that is like, it's harder for people to say what they don't like or what feels wrong. But when it's wrong in a piece, in a film, especially, it's like something's wrong, but they can't necessarily diagnose it. They don't need to. It's your job as the filmmaker to, to make them feel what you want them to feel, you know? Right. And that's yeah. like number one, you can fuck that up. Yeah, and I think one reason why is that, for good reasons, music is, per first of all, so personal intrinsically. And now with Pandora and iTunes, you're, you know, people's iTunes libraries and Spotify, people just think that they kind of got it covered. And not to say that, you know, I think everyone is the master of their own musical opinion, but that's kind of like me saying, I know how to make something look good if you give me, you know, a nice camera. And that's just not... 
the case. Yeah. I don't I don't do that every day. Yeah. You know, if something if I see something that you know, Spaniard shot, I can say that looks good and have that opinion. Respect. But with music, people think they they got it just because you know they know what they like. But when you get an expert behind it, someone who works with picture a lot, who can make that track, you know, have that tr- track, create that track to make that picture just pop, it's just a whole other thing. So what support a, me by caring about music. What a great and what a what a honestly not to laud you too much, but a selfless answer to that question. So oh, it's selfish. All right, all right. No, but but it because it's it's really true. Like the it's like what happened with Starbucks, you know, in the nineties or in the nineties when the coffee explosion happened. You know, there, Starbucks wasn't the only competing coffee company and i was in the pacific northwest right after graduating from college for a year there are a lot of companies that benefited hugely because of starbucks success so if one of our competitors leads the charge and bringing making sure that original music stays a focus in content creation we all benefit because no one company can service music is more in demand than ever yeah it really is i'm not complaining about the lack of need for music it's just how it's being procured yeah well said well said totally um well then you'll have our second question which is if you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show what would you want that to be Mm. this is a fertile silence (laughs) (laughs) um i think you know, I think it should probably be on the topic of relationships. <laughs> Certainly. Loosely related. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily. You know, I, I think I would, uh, I think one thing that we've kind of come back to a number of times is that, um, you know, a lot of people want to get credit a lot of credit for the work that they do, which is totally appropriate. And we have to do that because we need portfolios and websites and and everything. But having been in a band and having, you know, worked for and worked with, you know, celebrity folks much more um, well-known for what they do than I am and really kind of working to support them. And then, being a Kono owner of a company and then being a boss to many employees. There's one thing that, you know, and it took me a while, you know, I think in spy mob and as a a drummer working with other artists and being on stage, you know, I, I think it was, I think my childhood dream of being a rock star was all, you know, has always been there someplace. And I've always wanted to be known for what I, I do. And we all do, you know, in to one degree or another, but the thing that I've, that has really overshadowed that in a very real way over time is that we all look great when the product that we collaborate on is great. And often that means taking a trip to Brazil (laughs) and taking a back seat (laughs) and letting Uh someone else step up and really hit the ball over the fence. And so, (laughs) so the, the thing so I think the takeaway here is, you know, on the topic of relationships and collaborating is sometimes not saying anything is the coolest, loudest thing, most most influential thing that someone can contribute to a conversation. And sometimes, and I have to learn that as a producer and as a leader, you know, at 
in in my company and as in terms of communication goes sometimes I just need to shout out. <laughs> totally. That's I mean, this is a, something I've learned and I continue to learn, especially in directing, is like, it's, uh, you want to, you know, it's your it's your film and it's your thing. But the reality is you have to be okay with like letting stars shine. And you have to, you have to give people space to do that. And sometimes you have to just like get the fuck out of their way and, and let them do let that. Them yeah, and stop trying to like, yeah, that. Or I mean, just like let them succeed let them and succeed. not hold yeah. people back. Right. Um, if I could leave us with a thought about, I think some of the stuff I've learned from you is is a little bit about investing in relationships and in in giving without expectation. Because I feel like um, even just in our in our relationship, how this has developed is like there were never any expectations. It was always very generous and very like open. It was never like, "What can you do for me?" Um, and I think that when when good people, quote unquote, get together, that like good things happen and you don't need to put so much expectation on it. So I think maybe maybe a lesson there is like cultivating yourself as a good person, but then really just like letting go of like expectations of what people can do for you and then just trusting that that kind of comes around as it will. And it's like, because you've been very, very generous to me. Like, do you, I mean, very early in our relationship, letting me crash in at your studio in LA, like, that was like interesting, and maybe a lesson too from from even myself is is um, I mean you you certainly set the stage for that relationship, but like like asking, you know what I mean? Just asking, like honestly, I was really nervous to ask when I was like, because yeah. like I think you had like kind of loosely offered, but it was like I was like, hey, so can I, you know? So I think there's something to be said about that too, is to to actually ask people for things. In a like, I mean, of course, to be to be willing to ask because that's really scary sometimes as well. Yeah, well, taking this back to the beginning of the conversation, yeah, yeah. you introduced me as a kind person, uh-huh. and you know, I try to be kind when I don't, when you know, all things be, being equal, yeah. I think kind is a as a nice default, <laughs> sure. especially these days. Um, but that doesn't translate to generous, um, because I have people near and dear who I have to be generous and kind to. So I can't, I don't have unlimited resources. And it was Lisa McGuire. Yes. um, Someone who used to- Friend of the show, certainly. Friend of the show. And actually she was on set with the Betty Crocker stuff I was talking about that we were shooting. Yeah, it was really fun. She's back down. And we'll show notes the music video that I made for her, which I made for her because, uh, or with her through, you know, meeting you guys. Well, and I'm forgetting exactly how- well, she was just a, she was a fan of your work and a fan of okay. everything that you were up to. And when we were, I don't remember exactly. I, I think there was one step before you asked for our audio help. Oh yeah, yeah. But she introduced me to what you were doing, and she is someone. She f- falls into this family of of like people you do stuff for because it just always comes yeah, back. Yeah. But. When she introduced me to you, and based on Lisa and you know, and what our our thoughts were about about your work, and then when we met you, it just you know when you've been in working with creative people as long as I have, you very quickly get a feel for someone who you're going to click with personally and creatively. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, the doors just open. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't mean that anyone's going to get rich. That doesn't mean that yeah. you, you that you're going to you know hit a home run even. But when that happens, then then yes, you open the door to I think and you you termed it uh, 
share partner relationship or a partner share oh yeah so um there's a term i was like sharing economy or like trading it was a like trade stuff i forget but it was something share and it but whatever it was whatever that term was it okay. totally fit because it's like okay you're one of the small collection yeah. of people because you again you have to conserve your resources to yeah. make sure you, the people near and dear you are taken care of but you, you when you find those people that you can trust who are authentic who aren't BSing, mm -hmm. they're gold. And it was very clear, very quickly, that you were one of those golden people that we wanted to work with. And and when that happens, no, you don't have expectations. You don't say, okay, well then on this one it has to convert. Mm -hmm. There definitely needs to be, you know, a general Respect accounting and yeah, yeah. for like <laughs> sure. You know, and Grant just did so much amazing work for us on our website and other and you know promotional projects that we were marketing projects that we did for the company and his voice was just so in line with ours. So I just want to make sure everyone knows sure. there was reciprocity. Yeah, yeah. But when that happens, you know, you check in, you make sure that everyone's cool, but you don't nitpick. Yeah. And not, this is a very different thing yeah. than just doing free work. You know, when a client calls five times and you're doing free work for them, you know, you need to question that. You need to, to ask, okay, is this really something that I want to do for this commercial client who has a bazillion dollars, you know, or is it time, you know, to pull back a bit? That's different. What, what this is, is finding those relationships and they don't come along a lot and you can't go out and say this week, I'm going to find one of these, <laughs> but it's, it's being open and non-defensive taking your fear down and saying, okay, do we have something in common here? And I think that speaks a lot to you as well for being so young and knowing yourself so well that that you create that that trust. Because it, it wasn't like we were thinking, okay, here's a kid we could take advantage of. Yeah, <laughs> it was, let's get him. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a kid who really knew what he was doing and what, what he wanted to do. And it was just really clear that we could do really good work testament, together. A testament to you guys, though, that, I mean, I'm not just trying to, like, pile on the fucking compliment train that we're, I mean, but, but I mean, that is a good relationship, right? You're like, it's just like a band where you're like, yeah. oh, there's immense respect here. Yeah. And from immense respect grows all sorts of things because you want to do well for them. It's just, it's like a, a partner in any sense. Yeah. You just want to do well for them and you're both bringing something to the table. Yeah. And as long as you can keep that up and there's respect, it's like, fuck. Yeah. And one of the best things about relationships is that they beget more relationships. And the more people that you trust... Bring them into the fold, you, man. You it's crazy, life, right? You meet more people because of it. That's right. And I feel very fortunate that I got to meet you, Eric, through Grant. And I had a very lovely conversation. I think it was insightful and it was fun. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, we have but one more request for you. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. And that is to give us the customary sign-off of Ship It. Two little words that mean a lot to us. If it doesn't ship, it is an art. So if you could give us a ship it for the listeners, we would be very grateful. Without precedent, I don't know how anyone else has done this. I'm sorry, I just have to do it in my own way. Ship it! <laughs> <laughs>